on February 5th, just this year, a guy by the name of Travis Kaufman got up and he drove to Horsetooth Mountain to go for a run as he often did. And everything was going good. He was on his run. And then all of a sudden, he felt like something was watching him. And within seconds, he was attacked by a 40-pound mountain lion. Out of instincts, he put his hands up and the mountain lion just started biting at his wrists. And he started wrestling around on the ground and off of the trail. And through the course of the struggle, the mountain lion bit him in the face, bit him in his legs, and just scratched him like crazy as they wrestled through. Not only did that happen, but as they went on and off the trail, he was scratched up by all the stuff that was there. And along the way, he would try to grab any sticks that he could or any rocks that he could, and he was trying to hit, and he was in this serious, serious fight. And I'm sure that he would have known that there would have been danger going and running in the mountains, but I don't think he would have possibly thought that it would be today and it would be him where something like this would happen. I doubt that he realized how serious a threat it was until he felt those eyes on him, until he felt the razor-sharp claws scratching him. I doubt that he realized the kind of trouble he was in until he felt the fangs of this young mountain lion digging into his skin, and I doubt he saw what type of danger he was in until he saw his blood dripping. What's crazy about this story that's true is that a six-month-old mountain lion would usually be with its mom. So I don't know if he realized the type of danger that he was in, not only to fight off this young mountain lion, but also to realize that mama could be real close. A full-grown mountain lion, to speak of what type of threat this is, if mom shows up, it generally weighs between 130 and 150 pounds. It's from from the tail to the face, about eight foot long, about two and a half feet off the ground. They have great sense of smell, great sense of hearing, and their sight is about six times better than that of humans. They have a flexible spine that allows them to run and maneuver very well up to 35 miles an hour. So I don't know if he would have realized when he was in this fight with this little mountain lion that there was yet another threat that would just absolutely devour him. Full-grown mountain lion's hind legs are so powerful they can usually jump somewhere between 20 and 40 feet. And they can jump vertical about 18 feet. He couldn't climb a tree, couldn't do anything if that mom came for him. And again, what's crazy about this story is that mountain lions are usually quiet, they're solitary, they're elusive. You usually don't get to see them that often. In fact, in the last hundred years, there have only been 20 people that have been killed by mountain lions in all of North America. There's only, nine, uh, there's only 20 people that have been injured since 1990 in all of Colorado where this took place. But there this man was in the fight with this mountain lion. Now, mountain lions usually will attack for one of three reasons, because they'll see something as easy prey, or because they see something as a threat, or because you've entered its territory. And while these attacks are rare, they're actually on the rise. In fact, in 2010, there was this woman, and she was running again in Steamboat, Colorado, and she made her way up the mountain when she saw something, and she immediately stopped. This is what she saw. She slowly, very carefully, took her phone out, snapped this picture before she very carefully backed up and got as far out of there as she could. 
But here this man is with a young mountain lion wrestling it, beaten, scratched up, bitten in the fight of his life. And somehow he kind of got his footing. He shifted his weight and put all of his weight on this mountain lion's neck. And he just pushed down and pushed down. And he choked the mountain lion to death. This story came out this past week, and it was like this crazy story, right? Of how this guy choked out a mountain lion, killing it with his bare hands. But as he came forward this week, he started talking about it, and he said he realized what serious threat he was in, not only just fighting this mountain lion, but knowing that with as small as this mountain lion was, mama could be real close. So the second that he choked that thing out, he didn't like stand up, put his foot on it like, I have won, I'm victorious. He, he got out of there quick. He immediately bleeding, you know, wounded, injured. He made his way as fast as he could, running three miles to get to a grouping of people that would help protect him and help make sure that if the mountain lion was running toward him, that there would be people to help. And they took him to a doctor. He remained in the hospital for 10 days with serious injuries, and it was actually on Thursday when he first finally came out of telling his side of the story and not just hearing from the media what had happened. Now, this guy is truly lucky to have survived having been out in the woods all by himself, being alone, having no weapons, and not knowing what other threats he might face. And if you really read much of the Bible, you actually see that the Bible teaches that we who are followers of Jesus, we who have been born again, who we've put our faith in Jesus, that we face tremendous threats as well. In fact, we too face a threat of a lion. It's a roaring lion seeking to devour. That's part of what we're going to talk about today. We've been in Acts, been going through the book of Acts. We've been in Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, what's happening is Paul has gotten the Ephesian elders to come to him. And he's saying, hey, guys, look, let me explain to you how important elders, leaders in the church are. Let me, let me tell you what your job should look like. Let me tell you what you should look like. And so that's kind of the context of what's happening in this text. But it's really this emotional conversation. It's kind of Paul's last goodbye. It's kind of his, you know, halftime speech to these Ephesian elders. It's his goodbye speech. And he tells them, he says, what elders are to do, what are the purposes and duties of an elder, which is what we talked about last week. And what we said is God himself gives a plurality of elders, gives a plurality of people in leadership in the church in order to oversee, in order to shepherd, in order to care for, to help feed and to help equip the church. And what we also talked about last week is that he gives this plurality of leadership in the church and how those men should look is very specific. What they should look like is humble servants that are laying down their lives for the sheep, that are models and examples that aren't domineering. They're not in it for their own gain. They're above reproach and they're ones that pray. And that is all of what we talked about last week, but we're going to pick back up into this text and we're going to look at um, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31. And what we're going to see is that God gives a plurality of leaders to the church because we face tremendous threats. Threats from lions and threats from so much more. And that's what we'll talk about. Again, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31. If you want to grab your Bibles and flip to it, you can. Again, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31. This is what the Bible says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not see, night or day, did not cease to admonish everyone with tears. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will um, open up our hearts, open up our minds, that we would not be a people that think that it won't happen to me, it won't happen today, but God, I pray that you'll help us to today to really begin to understand the threats that we face. And God, I pray that for those who are in a position of leadership, that you will also remind us um, to pay attention. You will remind us to not only watch the flock, but to watch ourselves as well. So God, I pray that you will speak through me, that you will prepare our hearts, and that you will teach us in a profound way. In your awesome and precious name, amen. So I think it's important that we know what the threats are that we face. Like I said, we too face a, a lion. It's a, a roaring lion who's seeking to devour is what the word says. We, we face a mountain, um, as Psalm 17, 12 says, that he's a, like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. As we run the race, like, right, if we are in Christ, if we have become a Christian, what it means is that we are actually running through the mountains right now. That's what we're doing. We're running through the mountains on our journey with the Lord. We're running in the mountains, and we face these threats, some of which could be lions, but also the, the word tells us that there's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have this roaring lion seeking to devour us that's waiting in ambush. We have an enemy. The Bible also teaches in um, Ephesians chapter 6 that the enemy shoots flaming darts. So imagine yourself trying to live out your faith in Christ, and you're running through the mountains, and there's lions there. There's shooting darts that are flying at you, these flaming darts that are flying at you as you go through. And not to mention that the Bible also says that there'll be traps and snares. So imagine randomly placed landmines as you run through these hills, through the mountains, in your journey of faith, trying to be prepared for lions. I keep thinking lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But you, keep, you, you can picture that, right? You're running through knowing that the Word tells us that we have an enemy that will use whatever means necessary to take as many people out as he can. And all through Scripture, you see other things like that. And, and even in our text, it says that we need to be, be careful to realize that after Paul's departure, there will be fierce wolves who will come in that will not spare the flock. So now we got to worry about the randomly placed landmines. we got to worry about the shooting darts. we got to worry about the lion. But we also have wolves that are out here looking for us. And then Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 7 says, also beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. So now we also got to pay attention for other sheep because we're like these little sheep running through, these, through the mountains, but we also got to pay attention because there's going to be some that look like it's a sheep. It's like, oh, hey, buddy. And then it's actually a ravenous wolf, a false apostle or a false brother, a false prophet. Galatians chapter 2 says, yet because false brothers will secretly slip in to spy out your freedom, that they might bring you into slavery. Jude verse 4 says that there'll be certain people who will creep in unnoticed who will pervert the grace of God. 
So what happens is as we're running this race, there's people who come in, they, it seems innocent enough, but they'll have alternative motives and they'll camouflage their intentions as these false brothers, these false apostles, as these false prophets. There'll be wolves that might bring us into slavery. And what they're really seeking to do is to change all of this whole thing rather than it really being about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how we truly experience peace. It can come in as, you know, if you just work harder, you'll be all right. Just be a good person and you'll be fine. Like there's all of these things that can come in that are not what the truth of the word says, and we face these threats. It goes on and it says in verse 29 that they will not spare the flock. There'll be people who come in who will not be concerned about us as a people, but their concern will be for something far different. We face tremendous threats from the outside. We have the threats of lions, tigers and bears, oh my. We have the threat of hunters, of traps, of snares, of wolves, and even wolves in sheep clothing. But I think that so often we in the church, we're just running our race, just, this sounds really mean, but just like a bunch of idiots, just looking around, just enjoying what's happening, rather than realizing that these threats are all around and we should be prepared. We not only face outside threats of the enemy, we don't also just face the threats of those lions and tigers and bears. We have other threats. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 says that God gives apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the people for the work of service. And it goes on, and it says, so that they may no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. There's going to be all of these different thoughts, all of these different doctrine that can, can come in and can influence us in a way that it shouldn't. It says that there'll be human cunning and craftiness of deceitful schemes. And, and, and Romans talks about, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so what can happen as we're running this race, we can hear all these things about like this American dream. And, and so subtly we're like, yeah, yeah, I should be able to make a lot of money and have 2.5 kids. I don't know how that's possible, but have 2.5 kids and get the white picket fence. And I think all of that sounds really good. And so what happens without us even really knowing it, we face these threats and we slowly become conformed to the pattern of the world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as we're running this race, we face that threat. First John chapter two says, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and pride and possession and the world and its passions are fading away. But how often is it that as we're running this race, we see something shiny? And rather than running the race and realizing, I probably shouldn't look down. I need to be prepared and I need to be focused. And we're like, oh, it's a nickel. And we pick up the little nickel. And, or how often we're running and we see something like, oh, it's a watch. Oh, it's this. It's that. And, and we get so distracted. And what happens is we're running in the midst of tremendous threat outside threats, but we don't just have outside threats. The, the word tells us that we also have inward threats. There's threats that, that will come in from among us. Verse 30 of what we just read <clears throat> says that there will be men who will, who will be among you who will begin to speak twisted things. So the word tells us that as we're running this race, we're going to have all of these outside threats, but there's also going to be a threat that even people among us may come up and mar might start saying things just a little bit different. Like, I mean, was Jesus really... <laughs> Did he really, is that really what happened? And I think of, you know, we have the sheep in the wolf's clothing, or the wolf in the sheep's clothing. We have the lions. We have the just plain wolves. We have the, the traps. We have all of that stuff. And I think of the men who will come speaking twisted things. The, my picture of it is like 
a crooked lawyer, as if there's not a crooked, you know, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Lawyer joke. Um, but we have this crooked lawyer who's, who's just constantly accusing you and trying to cross-examine you in such a way that you get a little bit twisted. You know, I think of when you look at Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, what's the serpent do? He's wise and he's cunning. He's more cunning and more crafty than any of the other animals. What's he say? Did Jesus, did, did God really say? And man, it is so easy for us to be running this race and to hear these things of, did, did he really say? And that's, well, yeah. And what happens is we can start to get twisted up. I think you see it day in and day out. And the, the word tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, 1, that false brothers will rise in among us who will secretly bring in destructive heresy. It's so subtle. It sounds so good. There'll be people who will depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits. The word tells us in 1 Timothy that there'll be people who will come up the ranks, so to speak, among us, and what will happen is they will have an unhealthy craving for controversy for quarrels. And what happens is rather than being someone who comes in and says, hey, look, as we're running the race and you're running the race together, but instead of actually running the race, what happens is they want to have so many conversations about what type of shoes you should run when you're running. And they want to talk about, now listen, if you're not going to wear these specific type of shoes, then we got a big problem. And you need to make sure that you wear these shorts that cut up real high and look really weird, especially on men. And then you need to wear a tank top that's really tight so that when you're running, you look really weird. But what happens is, is joking aside, is we have people that, that rise up and what begins to happen is that it's more about making sure that you run correctly rather than the fact that you actually run. There's this constant friction. There's quarrels. It goes on and says that they slander. There's this constant friction. And I can tell you, having been in ministry in some way, shape, or form for 20 years, you see this often. It starts off real subtle. But again, it's like a lawyer who starts off with the nice, easy questions first. Can you state your name? Brian Pelfrey. How old are you? 40. How much do you weigh? Hey, 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 hey. You know, like, but, but he starts off easy, but then it slowly progresses. Like an expert in the law, like a Pharisee, and they aren't there to spare the flock. What begins to happen is they're twisting things. They're asking these questions. They're more about the race than they are really actually running it. You got to do this. You got to do that. And the reason why our, our text tells us that they do this comes from verse 30. It says, they do it to draw the disciples after them rather than after him. What begins to happen is there's people who will rise in, who come in, who will rise up, and what they really want is not for you to follow him, but you to, the, you to follow him. The motive. It goes on and says that their, their desire is to draw people after them to him, as I said, but then it goes on in one of the texts we read just a minute ago, they'll be imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And there'll be people who will rise up who will think, you know, if I can just get people to follow me, well then, man, I can, I can become powerful, or I can become someone of influence, or I can have, you know, a lot of people who think I'm really cool and who think I'm really smart, and I know you guys know better for me, so it's not worth trying. <laughs> I think of Simon the Magician I've talked about recently in the book of Acts. He, Peter lays his hands on people and the Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And he says to Peter, he says, hey man, how much money do I got to pay so I can do that? 
Like, I don't think he was in it because he really wanted to see the Spirit come on, on, onto people. What he really wanted was the power to do that so people would see him in a certain light. And the Word tells us that as we're running this race, there's going to be people who will do just that. We face tremendous threats from the outside and from the inside. People who will be looking out for their own gain, shameful gain. Think about Judas. Judas was one of Jesus' followers. There's 12 followers, right? And they're so close to Jesus and all is going super well. And they trust Judas so much, they're like, hey, let's put you in charge of all of the money. And so he's the treasurer. But what happens? He decides to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The word tells us that we face threats as we run this race. There will be people who are among us that will do just that. They'll be in it for their own gain. Maybe they'll be domineering. They'll be looking for you to follow their way rather than his way. And the word tells us in 2 Corinthians that such men who are false apostles or deceitful workmen will be disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And it says, no wonder for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. And it's, it's easy. I, I, had a, I had a buddy who, specifically talking about dating, he said, and he was this guy who had major struggles, and he said, you know what, though? If I start dating a girl, I can be a perfect angel for about a month. And then he says, but after that, the real me starts to come out, so i got to be real careful to win them over in that first month. But it's really true. It takes some time, sometimes it takes a while to figure someone's heart, someone's motive out, but, but this text tells us that there will be times where we will experience the threat from the inside who people will want to steer us in a way different than what the Lord would tell us in the way that he would tell us to go. So there we are, we're running the race, we're constantly bombarded by outside threats and inside threats, but there's no more inside of a threat than our own flesh. I can tell you this, I don't run, and if I did run, I would be about 40 steps in. I'd be like, you know, this seems kind of hard. I think I'll just walk. But how often is that the case for us in our flesh? We're running this race in our relationship with the Lord, and hard stuff happens. There's trials. There's tribulations. There's, you know, somebody who's just irritating you, and you're like, you know what? I don't want to run this race. And there, it just, let's give up. Man, the, the, the Word tells us that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. The Word tells us that we will be dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. The Bible tells us that our mind, the, when the mind is on the flesh, it's hostile toward God. And so we're running this race. We have these outside threats. We have the inside threats. But we also have this threat inside us that says, is this really even worth it? We have these threats of, you know, it would just be easier if you know, if I just didn't go help with that, if I just didn't do this, and, you know, like, I can say for me, there's often times where our particular house church meets on Thursdays, and where it'll be Thursday in the day, and I'll think, yeah, I'm just, I don't really feel like going being at house church tonight. I mean, I think we all struggle with that. We all have that. We have a flesh, and so we face these outside threats, and we face these inside threats, none of which are even more interior to us than our flesh. And the word tells us that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And how easy is that for us? Is like, you know, I just, how awesome would it be if I could tell you, hey guys, if you just have faith, God's going to let you win the lottery tomorrow. Like, I bet you if I really pushed that and preached that for a while, there'd be a lot of you be like, that doesn't seem right. 
But I bet you there'd be a whole lot of people who'd start coming and be like, I like that guy. He's, I mean, he's good, right? Let's go get our lottery tickets. But man, that's not true. But the fact of the matter is, it's really easy for us to, in our flesh, to want to hear people who say the things that we want them to say, who, who preach in a way that is maybe even more entertaining than truthful. We can really struggle with that. And I think what happens when we do that, when we fall into this trap, what happens when we're listening to those who are twisting the word, we become easy prey for the lion. And remember, there's three reasons why a lion attacks, and one of them is because we look like easy prey. And what happens is we look like easy prey because we're not using the armor of God. We look like easy prey because we aren't training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We look like easy prey because we aren't trained to distinguish good from evil. What we're doing is we're just going through, running this race, kind of jogging half-heartedly with our silly shorts on, just whatever. If you run and you wear those silly shorts, I apologize, by the way, for everyone that sees you. Not for, no, I'm just kidding. I do apologize to you. But we think it won't happen to us. We think it won't happen today. And when we do that, the enemy sees an easy prey. But if you were to read through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, just in a real quick once-over read, you would see that not only do we face those outside threats I just mentioned, not only do we face the inside threats, here is a small list of other things that all of us who are in Christ face as a threat as we're running the race. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We can find ourselves in the threat of becoming idle of becoming a busybody, becoming a gossip, self-indulgent. This life has become more about me getting what I want, when I want, how I want, why I want it. We can swerve from the faith, wander from the faith, deny the faith, shipwreck the faith, depart from the faith, begin to stray from the Lord. We can find ourselves in a threat where we persist in sin. We can be faced with a threat to become entangled in the civilian pursuits. We can face the threat of swerving from the truth or being led astray by various passions, falling in love with this present world. We can face the threats of turning away from the truth, going after ungodliness, going after worldly passions, being led astray, being slaves to various passions, slaves to various pleasures. We can go after worthless things and unprofitable things. And in our text, what God is saying is he puts elders, leaders in a church to warn that these are threats that you face day in and day out as you run. And if you're thinking, Man, I don't really face those threats, then the enemy has you right where he wants you and you are going to be easy prey for the enemy. Maybe you're here today and what you really need to hear is someone say to you, my brother or sister, the threat of becoming, of being idle is ripping you to shreds. The mountain lion of idleness is all over you, scratching you, biting you, clawing at you. Maybe what you need to hear is, my brother or sister, you have slowly begun to wander. Maybe what you need to hear is, my brother or sister, you're beginning to fall far too in love with this world. This world is not our home. You're becoming too bothered by the cares of this world. 
when they go well or when they don't go well. You're going after worthless things and unprofitable things. And if all of those threats aren't enough, we also face the threats that we will begin to quarrel. I mentioned this last week, and I hate even saying it, but there are churches that split over the color of carpet. Man, we can face this threat of quarreling. We're running this race, and it's like, I'm faster than you. No, I'm faster than you. My shoes are cooler. They're brighter. We can do all of this different stuff. There can be threats of divisiveness. Or what about this? Running the race, we face these threats, and if we begin to really think about the fact that we face these threats, we can get to a point like, I don't even know if I really want to race. Like, do, am I going to go run in a mountain if there's lions and tigers and bears and there's wolves and then there's going to be some sheep and I'm going to be like, oh, it's a cute sheep and it's going to bite my face because it's a wolf? Like, maybe it's just not worth running. We can live in a spirit of fear and timidity. So we face a tremendous threat of not running because of the threats that we face. So maybe you are here today and you need to hear someone say, we do not live in a spirit of fear and timidity. We can also get to that point to where we grow weary in doing good. There's a huge threat. That we start off strong and then, man, it just, it's, it's hard. Walking with the Lord is not a sprint. I can tell you that. It's, it's like an iron man. We can grow weary. But our text tells us that God gives this plurality of elders. He gives these leaders to the church, people who will oversee, who will care for, who will shepherd, who will help feed, help equip. He gives it men that will be humble servants, that will lay down their lives for the sheep, that will be models, examples, not domineering, not in it for their own gain. They'll be above reproach, people that pray in order to point to Jesus. He'll do it because he wants to protect the church. He wants to protect the followers from the threats that we face at every angle. And now here's the other thing. God does not just give elders to do that. Anyone who is in Christ, you're part of that as well. If it was just, we have eight men on the leadership team. If it was just those people's job to do all of those things, we would fail tremendously. I would totally guess that we have probably about 200 people that come to, our, to the greenhouse with some regularity. If eight people were to seek to do all of that, there is no way in the world we're going to do a good job. So God wants to raise up anyone and everyone that it's not like you're just running the race on your own, but that you're with a, a, a flock of people running the race, and it's your job too to do those things. But when we think back to our text, the guy is wrestling, the mountain lion, and he realizes what a threat he has. He doesn't just live in a spirit of fear and timidity and just give up, like, forget it, I'll just let the mountain lion devour me. No, he fights. And what does he do? He chokes it out. So God gives this plurality of shepherds to pay careful attention, to oversee, to be alert, to protect the sheep. And it instantly, when I was thinking through this on a deeper level, it made me think of David and Goliath. I feel certain that everybody here has probably heard the story of David and Goliath, but you have this huge, huge giant of a man named Goliath, and he comes to the Israelites, God's people, and he says, hey, I'm going to take you out. Give me your best man, I'm going to kill him, and when I do, all of you will become my slaves. And he's such a huge man that everybody's like, I ain't fighting that guy. It's a tremendous threat. They're living in this spirit of fear and timidity until one day, this little shepherd boy, 
He comes onto the scene, and his, what he's doing is he's bringing kind of food to his older brothers. His dad had said, hey, shepherd the sheep, and then kind of come on in, bring the food, get back to the sheep. And so David's bringing the, the food, this little shepherd boy, and he sees this tremendous threat. He sees da- uh, uh, Goliath standing there saying, you guys are nothing. I'm going to devour you. Give me your best one. I'm going to just knock them down. You'll all be my servants. He sees this threat, and he says, nope. This is not how it's going to go. And what David says is, I'll fight that guy. And everybody's like, are you kidding me? You're like this little tiny guy. What are you going to do to this huge master, giant fighter guy? And what David says is, I've been a shepherd for a long time. And any time a sheep or a lion or a bear, or excuse me, a, a wolf or a lion or a bear comes in to take one of my sheep, I strike it kill it, and deliver it. And he says, and if one of those things got close, I would grab it by the beard, strike it, and kill it. I've killed lions and bears, and I will do the same to Goliath. You see this tremendous shepherd that comes along that wants to help protect. And so what happens is they go out and they're going to fight David and Goliath because David sees his people like a sheep without a shepherd. And he says, I'll be the shepherd. So he comes in, he gets his, his staff, his smooth stone, five smooth stones and a sling, and they're trying to give him all this big armor, and he's like, I am, I'm not wearing all that stuff, that's ridiculous. And he goes out there, and this huge monster of a man with all of his protection on comes out there, and he's got a sword and a javelin and a spear, and David just comes in, he takes a stone, puts it in his sling, just, just hits Goliath right in the head, boom, down he goes. But again, he doesn't stand there in the same way that the guy that just killed the mountain lion doesn't stand there putting, like, ah, I'm victorious. Follow me, I'm so awesome. No, he runs in. And this is gruesome, but he runs in and he cuts off Goliath's head and he holds it up for all to see. But you know what I think what happens with us is even when we do get to a point to where we have killed that mountain lion, we don't get far away from the threat. We tend to bring the threat closer to us. Maybe we struggle with watching things that we shouldn't. We don't just leave it. We, we get closer to it. You do one of these like, man, no one should watch this show. Why would anybody watch this? And you change the channel and you go back to it wondering if people would still shouldn't watch the show. Or there's times where people can struggle with pornography and rather than getting this set up to where people know what it is you're looking at and, and want to encourage you and help you, you, you know, I'll be okay and... Man, it's easy prey. There's times where we can fall into that pattern of becoming a gossip. And what do we do? We put ourselves in situations where we can continue to do that. Or we're idle and people will say, come on, you should come. Like, no, no. But again, what happens is, is that we bring the, the threat closer. But David knew you don't do that. So David cuts off the head because he knew that you don't keep threats close by. If there's something in your life that is causing a threat, if a lion was here, you would never be like, hey, let me get a lion and bring him into my house and see how he does with the family dog or the family cat. Like, you're going to protect from that. And so often it's different for us. But Hebrews chapter 12 says that, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that, so, that clings so closely to us, and let us run excuse me, with endurance the race that is set before us, 
All of us are running this race. We face those outside threats, those inside threats, and we have things that are hindering us and things that are dragging us down, and we don't let go of it. It's like we decide, let's um, put that, the ball and chain on our leg and then go run through the woods with all of those threats. But what God is saying is, man, cut that. Let it go. And what God wants is to raise up each, all of us, but also shepherds of the church who will encourage people to cut those things loose. This runner wasn't immune from the threat, right? He just, because he had a certain age, it wasn't like, oh, you're 30, the mountain lion won't attack you. Or, you know, you've, you've been doing this for quite some time, and so I'm not going to attack you. The, the lion didn't decide to discriminate because of age or experience or strength. The the lion saw something and went after him. And the, th- the same is true. You know, like I said, it says that, that God gave, in essence, a plurality of leaders. It says that God gave by the Spirit overseers. Why? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has ceased you but what is common to man. So here's the thing. Whether you are a pastor, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a brand new believer, all of us face all of those same threats. I am not immune from any of those threats. Think about David, this ultimate, ultimate shepherd. You keep turning the page, and what you'll find is he becomes king. He's this amazing battle warrior of a king. But then one day, what happens? While everyone, while kings go out to war, he decides, "Eh, I'm not going to go out to war. The little threat of idleness, he decides, I'm going to stay home. And he stays home, and then he's probably bored, and so what does he do? He's like, I'm going to go up to the rooftop and walk around. So he goes up on the roof, and he's walking around, and he sees this beautiful, this very beautiful woman naked bathing on her rooftop. And he says, who is that? He doesn't keep it far away, but he brings it close, and he has her brought to him. Long story short, she gets pregnant. Now what's David going to do? This man after God's own heart, he's not immune from these threats, and he falls into the snare, into the trap. And now what he decides to do is, you know what I need to do? I need to bring her husband home from war and uh, give him a night with his wife. Boom, they'll have a kid. It's their kid. I'm off. I'm scot-free. Rather than coming forward, and sharing what's going on. That's what he chooses to do. And, but man, her husband is such an awesome dude. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be with my wife while all of my buddies are off in war. That wouldn't be fair to them. So then David decides, man, let's get him drunk. That'll help. Get him drunk, the guy still won't. So then he's, I got no other option. What am I going to do? Let's put him to the front lines where he's killed. Any one of us And even when you look at these pastors that have these great followings, you listen to them on the radio, and you're like, man, these are just awesome guys of the Lord. Listen, every single one of us faces these same threats as we run the race. So the thing that we must realize is that the enemy doesn't just attack because he sees easy prey. The enemy often also attacks because he sees someone as a threat. And if you look around, you can see that that's exactly what happens. The enemy goes after people when he sees that they're a threat. And so if you're running in such a way that like you're running the race, you're doing pretty good, the enemy is noticing that. 
if we get to a place to where we're, we're really making an impact in, for the kingdom in our neighborhoods or in our city, the enemy will attack when he sees you in his territory. And that is why God gave a plurality of elders. Because not one of us is immune from that. And so the fact that there's these multitude of people, if one of us begins to stumble and fall, if one of us is running the race and we're wrestling around with the lion, the others can come in to help attack that lion and get that lion out of there. And when this guy, he gets up after being fighting and killing this lion, what does he do? He immediately runs to community of people. And what that community realizes is that the community is not enough. He needs a doctor. And the word tells us that Jesus said that I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Jesus is the true doctor. And so what people need is to have a group of people, a community alongside them that take him, take her to the doctor. Why does God do this, though? Why does God give this plurality of, of leaders? Why does he encourage all of those who are sheep to do the same thing and to, to oversee and to care for? Why did he do that? Verse 28 says, talks about the, the church as those who he obtained by his own blood. The reason why God does this, the reason why God not only saves us and gives us the spirit, but also gives us this community and gives us overseers is because we are unbelievable, unbelievably valuable to him. He did it. He gave us, he obtained us not by our own works, but by his grace. His word says that for God so loved the world that he desires that all men will be saved. He pursues with reckless abandonment. We even talked about this last week, that Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. And it says that he searches for them until he finds them. And then when he finds them, he obtains them with his blood. He brings them into the fold. God gives elders and shepherds to protect the sheep because we are tremendously valuable to him. Um, when I was a kid, my dad taught me this lesson that he didn't say it this way because I would have never understood it, but value is not set by the seller, but it's set by the buyer. The way he taught me this, I said, Dad, look at this baseball card. This is an awesome baseball card. It's worth 300 bucks. My dad said, that card's not worth 300 bucks. I said, yes, it is. I looked in the Beckett magazine, and it says it's 300 bucks. And he goes, that card is worth what someone will pay for it. The fact of the matter is, is value is not set by the seller, but by the buyer. And if you want to know how much something is worth, you have to see how much someone paid for it. If I came to you and said, my house is for sale, anybody who wants to buy it, it's a million dollars. Not one of you is going to be dumb enough to buy my house for a million dollars. And if you are, it is for sale. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, I could set whatever price on it but it's not worth it unless someone's willing to pay it. And so the way that we know the value that we have is by looking at what took to bought it and to buy us. We were so valuable to the Lord that his son's blood was spilled for us, that we could be obtained. It's so valuable that he puts people 
along the journey with you running to help protect you because he desires that not one of us would be lost. We are so valuable throughout the word it tells us that his thoughts of us outnumber the sand, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. We're so valuable that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We're so valuable that we were knitted together in our mother's womb. If you are here today, there's a very real possibility that you need to hear that you are so valuable to God, so valuable to God, that he has a plan for your life. He has a plan to prosper you, to give you hope. He, he's wanting to work out all things for the good of those who love you. So if you are here today, you need to hear that he loves you. You are valuable to him. And that is why he gives this plurality of elders, leaders to the church. So let me ask you a question. Picture yourself on that mountain running that race. Where are you in the journey? Maybe you're like, to be honest with you, I'm sitting back at the house watching TV, cold beer in the hand. I'm, I'm enjoying it. This is great. The fact is, is that some people aren't actually even on the race. The word tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world, which is the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You may be here today, and you may not actually be running. You may be just sitting back at home because you've not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you are one of those who has put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, and you're running and all... And if you're honest, you feel like you see someone or something looking at you. You have that thing inside of you that's telling you that you have, are in danger. If you are out there all alone and you feel that, you are in tremendous danger. The word tells us that the lion is ready to ambush you. What, it, what, what you're told to do if you were to see a mountain lion is to stand tall, not to cower down. I think what you probably would want to do is be loud. That way, if there's anybody else running near you, they can come to your aid. If you are here today and you would say that you feel the threat of the enemy, my challenge and encouragement to you is call out to others. There is so much more power in a group than there is individually. Maybe you're here today and you would say, if I'm honest, I have feeling the razor sharp claws and the fangs of the enemy in my life. And you are in a fight to the death right now. There are others who would love to come alongside you and seek to wrestle that line with you. Maybe you realize you have these tremendous threats and you realize that there's other threats that are very possible to rear their ugly head, maybe prideful thoughts or worthless things or addiction or the love of this world. For some, it might even be suicidal thoughts. The enemy wants to sink his teeth into us, wants to devour us. You might be like this man who gets lucky and chokes out the latest threat. But I would say that you are in need of the doctor. If you feel those fangs, if you feel 
the eyes of the enemy on you, you need the, to be in the presence of the doctor. It's easy, again, like I said, to think that we're all good. We're all good on our own. We're running this race. And the Word tells us that pride comes before the fall. I want to end with this. Sheep have only two means of survival. To be in the company of a flock or the protection of the shepherd. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what type of community you've surrounded yourself with. I don't know if you're in that race. But if you're not in that race, I would tell you that as, as, as uh, grim as it seemed through the message today, that race is an incredible race. And if you're running that race, but you're running it all alone, I would challenge and encourage you to call out. You need community from the protection of those threats. And if you are here today, I would tell you that there are shepherds at this church there are people who want to come alongside and encourage and shepherd you. They're little ass shepherds. But there's also the chief shepherd that you need. It's the doctor. It's Jesus. All of us face these threats as we run the race. The question is, is what do we do in the face of the lion? My hope and my prayer is that we are a people that call out not only to the chief shepherd, but to one another for protection because sheep are protected in two ways, the company of a flock and the protection of the shepherd. Let's pray. God, again, I thank you so much for the ways that you love us. God, the fact that while I was just a kid wanting absolutely nothing to do with you, I was going my own way. My life was not going the way that I would want it to, the way that I thought it would. And if I'm honest, I was miserable. And I heard this still small voice call out to me. And that voice said, come with me. And God, you know that 20 years ago, I began to run this race with you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not run that race, that today would be the day that they start. And for all of us who are here running the race, I pray that you would help us to not run that race alone, that you would guide us, you'd carry us, that you would protect us from the threats that we face, but you would also give us others to run with. God, um, the threats that we face on the outside and on the inside are far more than what we can bear apart from you apart from the company of others. So God, give us the strength that we need to fight off those threats. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his awesome and precious name we pray. Amen.